I'm really fascinated with the concept of architecture. Uh, there's a part of me that would love to be creative enough and gifted enough to be able to be an architect. Uh, my brother actually studied architecture at one point and became a fully qualified architect. But there's something amazing to me about the ability to sit down with a blank piece of paper in front of you, or probably more accurately now, a blank computer screen in front of you, and to be able to have something in your mind and be able to get that down there. And not just to be able to get it kind of out there generally, which is what would happen if I tried to draw something that I was thinking of, but to draw it with such accuracy that everyone else can see the vision that you've got for it. And then to be able to do it in such a way that then engineers and builders and other people can then take that idea, that picture that you had in your mind, and be able to make it become a reality so that it actually becomes a building that doesn't fall down. That is staggering to me as I think about it. And uh, think of particularly there's a few buildings that uh, came to mind as I was thinking about this. Of course, the Sydney Opera House. So just this amazing idea that someone sat down and thought, I'm going to create this amazing piece of architecture, which is going to become one of our national symbols, that when you see those sails, you instantly know that's Sydney. Most people think of Australia as soon as they see that. But that was an idea in someone's head that then went down on paper and they were able to draw it. And then it was able to become created. The Burj Khalifa in Dubai absolutely blows my mind, this building that is absolutely gigantic. And again, the ability to conceive of something that enormous, but to be able to think about how it's not going to then fall down when it's that big is absolutely amazing as well. And then the other one that really blows my mind is that cathedral on the end. Does anyone know what that is? The Sagrada Familia, that's right, in Barcelona. So this is a cathedral that's still being built. It was started to be built in 1866. And this doesn't happen for us very often. I'm sure that this happened when a lot of the big cathedrals were built, that this was just a normal thing, that a building would be built for 100 years, 200 years. It was kind of normal. But for us, that's very, very rare. But to think about, so they replaced the original architect, uh, but the current architect passed away in 1926. So the guy who designed that passed away nearly 100 years ago, and you can imagine how much of the building was actually built at that point. So this is supposed to be finished in 2026. But that's even more extraordinary to think about the ability to draw something and to think about and conceive something that you know you're not actually going to see the finished product of. That's even more staggering to me. But it's really, really helpful, I think, for us as we get into what we're going to be talking about today. Last week, we gave a little bit of an overview of where we're heading in this new series that's called Epic, where we're going to be walking through God's big story. And in particular, we talked about this big fancy word, meta-narrative, which really just means big story. But meta-narratives are big stories in which we find a sense of meaning and a sense of purpose. And so if you weren't around last week, I would encourage you to go back and have a listen to that if you can. It's on our website, Facebook page. You can subscribe to our podcast and hear it because there is a lot that we went through last week that kind of sets the context for where we're going to go through the rest of the series. And so this epic series that we're going to go through walks through God's big story that we believe gives us a sense of meaning and purpose. And we talked last week about how this big story was conceived by God before the world was even created. Before anything was made, God had in mind this plan that we're going to walk through in the coming weeks. 
And so, this is a quick overview of where we're going to head through the rest of this term. So today we're going to talk about designed, and so the key phrase that we're going to focus on is that we're created for a purpose. That's what we're going to dig into today. Next week we'll talk about episode two, which is broken. That when we choose selfishness, we experience brokenness in our lives. Episode three is expectant. And the key phrase there is that we know that there's more to life. We can understand that. God's big story helps us to understand there's more than just what we experience in the here and now. Episode four is presence, that we are not alone. Episode five is satisfied, where we're going to talk about the reality that we don't have to strive. Episode six is mission, where we all have a role to play. And then episode seven, where we're going to wrap things up, is restored where we can see brokenness turned into beauty. And so we're going to unpack each of these in the coming weeks. And then at the end of the series, we're going to have an opportunity to answer your questions that you might have. So inside of Caring Connection, there's a little slip of paper, which is a question sheet. And I would encourage you to have that out and have it in your hand, because as we go through today's message, if there are questions that you have, if there are things that we don't, I don't explain well enough, if there are things that you disagree with or that you want to challenge, it's a great opportunity to be able to do that. And so jot your questions down as we go through the message, and then the question box is at the back of the chapel, and uh, you can drop them off on your way out. And then we're going to collate all of them through the rest of the series and uh, talk about them together at the end. So today, episode one, designed, we were created for a purpose. And the way of articulating what that purpose is, where we're going to go, is that we were created to live in a full, complete relationship with God, with each other, and to look after the world which he created for us. And so to begin God's epic story, we're going to start at the beginning, which kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It's a good place to start. And uh, so Genesis chapter one, verse one, the very first verse of the Bible says, in the beginning, God. And so that's where we want to start and recognize and remind ourselves, we're going to keep coming back to this, that this is God's story that we're unpacking. Before anything, at the very beginning, there was God. And I read this great quote during the week. It says, questions about how God created often miss the reality of who did the creating and even more importantly, why those things were created. Questions about how God created often miss the reality of who did the creating and even more importantly, why those things were created. So today we're not going to do some apologetics about how God created. That's not where we want to focus. Instead, we want to look at those two other more important questions. Who did the creating and why were those things created? And that's a good reminder for us because sometimes we can get a little bit lost in debates about creationism versus evolution, about how dinosaurs fit into the big picture of things, whether it was six literal days that God created or whether it was six periods of time. We can get lost in some of those debates that are important things for us to talk about. But if we just stay there and forget to zoom out and say, yeah, 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 but who did the creating And why did they do the creating? Those are actually the more important questions for us to tackle. And so whenever I'm in a conversation with someone who's wrestling with those things, that's where I want to get to. It's to be able to say, we can talk about that, but at the end of the day, we don't actually know. No one that I'm aware of was there when creation happened, and there's no video record of it. So none of us actually know exactly how it worked. So we can talk about it. But the more important question is to say, why did creation happen and who was around at the time? So our belief as people who follow Jesus is in the beginning, God. 
that we believe that at the beginning of time there was God. So before anything else was created, before land, before water, before animals were created, before computers, before we had roads, before we had cars, before there were minutes or hours or days, God existed. Before anything, God was there. And our belief is that if you go back far enough, there has to be something. And so even if, as some people do, you subscribe to the theory of the Big Bang, and you would say that's how the world kind of was come, came into being, our belief is, well, something had to cause that. Well, you again want to come back and say, why was it created? But how did all of that happen is kind of a secondary question. But we want to say there was something there. And the reason for me why this is important is because the percentage chance of everything just happening the way that it needed to happen for life to be created, the percentage chance of us having a planet that has just the right amount of gravity so that we don't all drift off into space or get crushed, the percentage chance of there being just the right amount of oxygen for us to be able to breathe, just the right amount of water, for all of the things that are needed for life to exist, the percentage chance just of our planet being right and all the alignments and everything else is staggering when you think about the percentage chance. And in some ways it almost takes more faith to believe that that all just happened by chance, some random event that just some sparks happened and everything magically came about. It almost takes more faith to believe that that happened than it does to believe that there was something that initiated all of that with a clear purpose behind it, with a clear intent behind it. So our belief is that the being that was behind all of that was God. But we do have to be careful because when we think about God existing before any of that stuff happened, however it happened, we can kind of have this picture of God kind of floating around in complete darkness. If you think about it, there was nothing whatsoever. The sun hadn't been created. There was no light. So if God's kind of floating around by himself in the complete darkness, that paints a picture of God which says, well, God's reason for creating us, the why, is probably just because he was lonely and bored, maybe a little bit scared because it was so dark. And so God created something so that he wasn't so alone. And if that's our understanding of the why God created, then that takes us down a certain path in terms of our perceptions of who God is. This is the reason why Trinitarian theology is so important to us. Trinitarian theology is very complicated. It's the idea that God is three but is one, that God exists as Father, Son and Holy Spirit, But there is so much unity, so much love, so much common purpose amongst the Father, Son and Holy Spirit that they are one. It's this beautiful word that's used to talk about the Trinity called interpenetration. This idea that they're so in and out of each other that they are completely united. They are one. You can't really tell one from the other, but yet we believe that they are distinct. One of the reasons why that is really, really important for us to hold on to, as complicated as it is, is because if God existed before the start of time as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, then God wasn't lonely. God has always existed in perfect relationship with love flowing, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so if we understand that, it changes our understanding of why God exists, uh, God created. God didn't create because he was lonely and bored, 
God created, and I love to think about this conversation starting, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit sitting around one day, although there weren't days, and saying, do you know what we should do? We should open this up so that more can, can experience this love and unity that we have together. If we stop and recognise that God's always existed that way, there's this other-centred love that opens up. We often think about the Trinity as a triangle, but if we think about it as a circle of love there together, effectively before the creation of the world, a conversation happened to say, what if we open the circle up so that other people could be welcomed in and could experience that same sense of love and unity and purpose that we get to experience all the time? And if we start from there recognise that's who God has always been. God's purpose in creating us was to welcome us into that. That changes our whole understanding of who God is and what God is like. So where do we get some of these ideas about why we're here, what creation was all about? Well, the passage that we had a look at today, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, really help us to understand the original purpose in creation. So let's reread the verses that we looked at already. Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, and now we will make human beings. They'll be like us and they will resemble us. They'll have power over the fish, the birds and all animals, domestic and wild, large and small. So God created human beings, making them to be like himself. He created them male and female, blessed them and said, have many children so that your descendants will live all over all the earth and bring it under their control. I'm putting you in charge of the fish, the birds, and all the wild animals. I've provided all kinds of grain and all kinds of fruit for you to eat. But for all the wild animals and for all the birds, I've provided grass and leafy plants for food. And it was done. God looked at everything he'd made, and he was very pleased. So there's a couple of really important things in this. First of all, in verse 26, we have God saying, and now we will make human beings. They will be like us. And resemble us. This again is where some of our Trinitarian theology comes from. This isn't God using the royal we, like the Queen. We believe that this is God literally saying, God, as three in one, there's three of us. So we will do this creating and we will make human beings like us. But the other thing that's very important is that last line God looked at everything he made and he was very pleased. When we look at the rest of creation, we read that God was pleased with what he was made. When he created humans, there was something significant, and he was very pleased about what he had made. Genesis 2 then has another creation account. And this is sometimes where we struggle a little bit, because some people challenge us and say, well, which one? Pick one of the creation stories. You can't have two. But that's a very weird mindset where we think that the Bible is like a science textbook, which it isn't. We understand that Genesis 1 is kind of an overview of creation and Genesis 2 then helps us go a little bit deeper into some of the specifics of creation, particularly around us as human beings. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, we read that the Lord God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. He breathed life-giving breath into his nostrils and the man began to live. And this is a beautiful picture of God's engagement in creation. God took some soil from the ground and formed a man out of it. When I think about that, I think about the idea of a potter with clay. It's that sense of grabbing a slab of clay and then being able to work it, getting their hands dirty and being able to form something 
out of it. That's the picture that we have of God creating us as human beings, engaged, fully into it, getting his hands dirty. But then we take that a step further and look at the intimacy that it says that God breathed his life-giving breath into us. That God doesn't just kind of stand back and give it a poke or give it a jolt and then it comes to life. God breathes his very life essence into us and that's how we come alive. This beautiful sense of God being so engaged in the creation of humanity, getting his hands dirty, breathing intimately his life into us. So why are we here? What's our purpose overall? What was God's original design? If I had to try and sum that up in one word, I would use the word peace. Peace. That's the reason why God created us. We believe that God created us to be in a full, complete relationship with him, being loved by him and loving him in return, being accepted, being embraced by him. When I think about what that's like, I think about peace. I often think about the idea of a little kid crawling up onto their parent or their grandparent's lap, just curling up there, having arms wrapped around. It's a sense of beautiful peace there. That's the picture that I have of how God wants us to understand our relation to him as our heavenly father, loving us, accepting us, embracing us at peace. But God also wants us to be in a relationship with each other. We're created to be part of a family that isn't just about my personal relationship with God and your personal relationship with God. We together are in relationships with each other. And so in God's original design, we're supposed to love one another. I think Jesus said something about that. We're supposed to be loved by one another. We're supposed to forgive one another and receive forgiveness from one another, encourage one another, care for one another, share with one another. When I think about what that looks like, this word peace, living in peace-filled relationships with each other. But we also understand from the Genesis account that we are supposed to live at peace with this creation, that God gave us a responsibility to be the ones who look after this world that he has made where we are put to work, but we're put to work for a greater purpose, to be able to help see things grow and flourish. One of the ways that I think about that, that I think our Indigenous brothers and sisters help us with, is the idea of being custodians. That we have this responsibility that God's given us to look after this world for the benefit of everyone and the benefit of those who are to come, future generations. When I think about what it looks like for us to be able to live that way, again, this word peace, living at peace with the creation. So if you think back to last week, we looked at these verses from Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5. Even before the world was made, God had already chosen us to be his through our union with Christ, so that we would be holy and without fault before him. Because of his love, God had already decided that through Jesus Christ, he would make us his children. This was his pleasure and purpose. This is why we're here, because we are God's children. We are the family of God. That's the reason that he created us. And he made that decision before the world even came into being. There's a couple of beautiful words in that passage. The word chosen. 
when you think about being chosen for something, you think about the idea of being picked for a sporting team, for example, or you think about the idea of entering into a competition, maybe entering into something at the show that's coming up and winning a prize and being chosen as the winner, or you think about applying for a job and being successful and getting a job, or you think about being elected into a position being chosen. There's something in us that makes us feel validated. It makes us feel like, wow, that's really, really great. Someone picked me. Someone chose me. But what's beautiful about this is that it says we were chosen before the creation of the world. With all of those other examples, we're chosen because we did the right things to be able to get the job. We were successful in the way in which we did whatever we did to win the competition. It's all about us doing enough in order to win and be chosen. But Ephesians tells us that God chose us before we'd had a chance to earn anything. We were chosen, picked, selected by him. So what were we chosen for? We were chosen to be holy, to be set apart for a purpose, is what the word holy means. And that purpose is to be without fault, to be blameless, to be without a blemish, and to be his kids. When God looks at us, he sees people who are faultless, blameless, without a blemish, his children whom he loves. So that's who we are. That's what our identity is. We're going to sing at the end of our service this beautiful song, I am a child of God, because that's the truth of who we are. I am a child of God. You are a child of God. You are a part of God's family right here, right now. Not because you work hard enough, not because you can somehow hope to earn it. It's true right now because before the creation of the world, God chose you to be his. Our identity, therefore, is not about our job. It's not about our success. It's not about what we're good at. It's not about what other people say about us. It's not about what we look like. But neither is our identity about our mistakes or our failures. Those things don't define us either. All of us have an inner soundtrack, an inner voice that speaks to us, especially when we first wake up in the morning and especially when we look in the mirror. All of us have a soundtrack or a voice that tells us who we believe that we are. And it's very, very powerful because it shapes a whole bunch of the ways in which we then interact with other people and how we live our lives. So one of the things that I'd love us to consider is what would it look like for us every morning to get up and to start with a voice in our head with an inner soundtrack that says, I am a child of God. That when I look in the mirror, I look at myself And I can say, I am a child of God. That in those moments when I'm quiet, in those moments where there's nothing else happening and I'm left alone with my thoughts, the thought that's in my head is, I am a child of God. How would that be different to the soundtracks that we often have, which tell us, I'm not good enough? That when we get up in the morning, we say, oh, here we go again. I've got to try and prove myself. I've got to try and make sure that I do enough today to feel worthwhile, to feel validated. Oh, I've got to connect with that person. I wonder what they think of me. What if instead of starting our day out that way, 
We got up every day and we said, I am a child of God, loved, accepted, embraced, as I am right here, right now. To me, what that would breed is a sense of peace, a sense of calmness, a sense of stillness inside of us. It says we don't have to strive. We don't have to push ourselves. We don't have to impress anyone. We are children of God. So as we wrap up our message today and get ready to transition into communion, I want to leave us with this question to reflect on as we head into this week. How does God's story shape my identity and my purpose? And another way of saying that is to say, how does God's story shape who I am and why I am here? My identity, who I am, and my purpose, why I'm here. So if we talk about these things that we've said we're created for, we're created for a relationship with God. So how does God's story then shape my identity? If I understand that I am a child of God, as we've just been talking about, that I don't have to try and strive and earn anything, how does that change my identity? But also how does it change my sense of purpose? That my aim and my goal as I go through this week is simply this, to deepen my sense of connection with God. It's as simple as that. I don't have to try and earn anything from God. I don't have to prove myself to God. I can just live out of that sense of being loved and embraced and accepted. End of story. How do I understand that? That purpose of having a complete relationship with God can shape who I am. Secondly, if we're created to be in a complete relationship with each other, how does that shape my identity? To recognise that I'm not here as an individual. I'm not here as someone who needs to get what's mine. I'm actually created to be someone who's in a relationship with other people. I'm created to be part of a spiritual family, to have people around me who encourage me, who support me, who cheer me on as I go through my days and my weeks. If that shapes my identity, it also can shape my purpose. That my purpose is to try and strengthen those relationships with other people. It's a big part of the reason why we have a lunch on a regular basis. It's part of the reason why we've started this Wednesday night program every two weeks to have a shared meal together. Because there's something very rich about us being able to invest in relationships. It's what we're created to do. And we live in a very individualistic culture And we have to make conscious choices to push back against that, to say, no, I'm not going to exist off on my own. I'm going to intentionally say I'm a part of a family and I'm going to give in to that. And then thirdly, if our purpose, why we're here, is because we are to look after the world, what does it look like to recognise that my identity is shaped as someone that God trusts enough to give the responsibility of looking after his creation? You think about it, if you go away for a period of time, often you'll invite someone to come and to look after your house, to look after your garden, and you trust that person. But now I zoom out and think about God's perspective on that. God has trusted us to look after his whole creation. That's pretty amazing and pretty significant. So how does that shape my identity, that God trusts me enough to be able to do that? But then to shape my purpose to say, okay, therefore this week, how am I being a good custodian of this world that God has given us to look after? And in all of that, if we come back to this word peace, 
If we're created to experience peace in our lives, then what does it look like for me to have my identity shaped as a person of peace? Someone who has a deep well of stillness inside of me. That that's my default posture. That's who I am. A person who is at peace. How is my identity being shaped that way? And what are the things that buffet against that that I need to push back against? The things that I need to challenge that stop me being at peace? But my purpose is then to be someone who extends that peace to other people. So in the connections that I have this week, in the people that I interact with, how do I share that peace? How do I help them to experience the peace that's in my life, but also the peace that they can experience as well? How does God's story, his original intent in designing and creating us, shape our identity and shape our purpose? My prayer for us is that as we go into this week, we'll continue to wrestle with that. What are the implications about us being children of God? being created to be in a relationship with God, with each other, to look after this world that he's given us, to be able to be people who live at peace. I'm going to pray that God would give us opportunities to learn what that looks like in greater and greater ways, but also to be challenged about those times where we don't experience that and the things that we need to change in order to embrace that in deeper and deeper ways. Let's pray. God, there are times that we stop long enough to really join the dots and recognise how extraordinary you are. And I know that for me, this is one of those moments to recognise that you are the architect of all of creation, the architect of the universe. You are the one who, before anything was created, could see what it was going to be. And in the midst of all of that, you could recognise what it looked like to create a world for us to be able to thrive and to flourish. So it's astounding to think about all of the implications of you being the creator of all of that and yet at the same time for you to intimately know every single one of us. That as we sit here this morning, you know exactly what's going on for every one of us. You know the areas of our lives where we're struggling. You know the places where we really reject some of what we've talked about this morning because of other things that have happened to us, because of the circumstances in our lives, because of habits that we've formed. Some of these things that we know are truths that come to us from you, we struggle to embrace, we struggle to accept. So my prayer is that as we head into this week, you would continue to remind us of your purpose in creating us. You created us because you chose us to be your children. You chose us to be a part of your family. Our identity is that we are children of God, right here, right now, accepted by you. That's amazing. And I pray that as we go into this week, you would continue to help us to understand how to deepen that sense of connection with you. To recognise that it's not just about our individual spirituality. It is about us being able to connect with each other and journey together as well. So remind us that we're not alone. We're not trying to go through all this stuff by ourselves. We have other people around us who can cheer us on, who can encourage us. Give us tangible experiences of that. Help us to remember that you have entrusted us with the care of this amazing world that you created. 
and help us to know what it looks like for us to be able to look after this pocket of the world that you have given to us. Sometimes we get so overwhelmed with thinking about the entirety of what's happening globally and the state of the world from an environmental perspective. They help us not to be paralysed by that, but to do what we can do to be good custodians of what you have given to us. And through all of that, I pray for a sense of your peace, a deep sense of peace, understanding the way that things are supposed to be. Help us to have that within us. Help us to have that to extend to the people around us. Thank you for your amazing love for us. Thank you for your amazing story that is so huge and enormous and yet finds each one as a part of us. In your name we pray. Amen.